The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I'm here. So much to get to today. Uh, We'll try to talk some football, but the team just won't let us talk about only football. Uh, We'll get to that. But it is April 1st, April Fool's Day, Tommy. And my father used to live for April Fool's Day when when we were kids. When my sister and I and my brother, who was much younger, were kids, he would come up with something every single year until we got too old and we figured it out. Uh, I actually pulled something on my boys when they were younger. Was this was April Fool's Day a big day in your household at any point? Not really. Uh, look, my kids would probably tell you that every day was sort of April Fool's Day living with me. So. <laughs> I um, I pulled something on my boys. I, I want to say that they were probably like, you know, 10 or 11, 8, you know, 6, probably, you know, somewhere in that age. It was probably a weekend morning because I remember this being in the morning, so they weren't at school. And I had my wife go downstairs into the uh, into the bathroom in our, what was the, kind of the kids' rec room, playroom area where the bathroom was, shut the door. And so the boys were up kind of watching TV upstairs, and I came up and I said, oh my God, you're not going to believe this. I was outside downstairs off the laundry room, and a fox ran into the house, and it ran into the bathroom, and I shut the door. Where's mom? And they're like, what do you mean? I go, where is she? Uh, Oh, that's right. She had to go to the store. Come down here real quickly. What are we going to do? I'm going to open up the door, and you guys are going to try to shoo it out of the house. And, you know, their eyes were wide and the whole thing. And we get downstairs, and my wife is, like, scratching on the door from the inside, making all of this ruckus. And so we did the thing where we got him close to the door, and I'm like, all right, ready? I'm going to open up this door. It's going to run out. You've got to try to. And they're like, no, Dad, we can't do that. We should call the fire department. I'm like, no, no, it'll be easy. You can just guide him outside. And we open the door, and and my wife jumps out and screams. And we got him good. We got him so good. I don't think we oh, ever, God. ever had a chance to do that again because it was too good. Um, but, uh, yeah, my father always came up with something. Whatever it was, I can't even remember most of them. 
but he got us when we were younger. So I tried to carry on some of that tradition. Uh, meantime, happy birthday, well, yeah, Sean well, Taylor. Sean Taylor's birthday, well, he would have been 39 years old today on April 1st. Uh, rest in peace. Um, yeah. Anyway, you got up really early this morning, didn't you? Yes, I did. I got up uh, 5 o'clock in the morning, and I thought about you getting up at 5 o'clock, because I know you get up earlier than that. Uh, and uh, I had to take my wife to the airport because... Uh, uh, the logistics of it aren't worth explaining, but ultimately, <laughs> she will wind up in Orlando tomorrow night, where I'll be tomorrow, because we're taking our granddaughter to Disney World and Universal Studios. Awesome! What about Epcot? Yes, yeah. Epcot. That, that's Epcot. That, that's like a science project. Epcot. That's nothing. <laughs> and, and, well, she might. And we be... got three. We got three. We got three days, uh, two at Universal, one at Disney. Yeah, that'll be fun. I forget. Yeah. How, how old is your granddaughter? She's 13. She's 13. She's right. Now. This is the edge. This is the edge. Yeah. This is the outer edge. How excited is she? She doesn't know. It's a secret. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So yeah. you took you took Liz to the airport. Where'd you take her? BWI? Well, she, yeah, BWI is their, our favorite airport. One we're used to, the easiest one to get in and out of, uh, the least traffic, at least it seems to me. And uh, she's flying out to get our granddaughter, and then they're flying tomorrow to Orlando. Well, I'm flying to Orlando tomorrow, and I'll meet them there. So you don't have to fly all the way out to Spokane to pick her up. That's what Liz is doing. You've done yeah. that before already. You've done the yeah, fly out and pick usually, her up. When we get her for the summer, like for three, four weeks in the summer, one of us will fly out with, to get her, and one of us will bring her back. Right. Um, yeah. Well, we won't get into the you know the Disney controversy here over the last couple of days because um, I don't feel like talking politics right now. But that sounds like a phenomenal trip. Do you know? Um, do you have fast pass? You know, do you have some of those fast passes so you don't have to wait in long lines at Disney? I don't know. My wife uh, handled all the arrangements, and she's kind of a cheapskate, so we probably don't. Well, I'm just trying to think. Here's the th- here's the thing, right? It's it's April. This is spring break time. Oh, it'll be it'll be crowded. It's going to be so crowded, right? Although I don't know. I know. Well, yeah, in Florida, it's going to be so crowded. Um, there yeah. were. I think we did Disney with the boys. Three times, although my youngest still to this day complains that he's never been to Disney. So the three trips that we made to Disney were before he became of age to go to Disney. And so the two older boys kind of benefited from being older on those trips. And then we got tired of doing it. So we just didn't do it because I know he has told me before, I've never been to Disney World. I wasn't on that trip. I don't remember. Why didn't you ever ever take me? Um, Well, you know, whatever. You know, sometimes the youngest, uh, you know, has to take the brunt of some of that. Um, It's kind of like college trips. Got to the third boy. And he's like, aren't you going to take me on college trips? I'm like, you know, can't you just figure it out on your own? Um, but we ended, up, <laughs> we ended up doing college trips, although I think I've told this story before. Uh, the college trip was my wife said, you're going to take him to see colleges, right? Yeah, so I took some days off. 
Um, and we went to Charleston, South Carolina, where he visited the College of Charleston. Beautiful school. Um, and then uh-huh. from there, we went and we played Kiowa's Ocean Course. Uh, the next day, we went to the Masters, uh, the first round of the Masters. Um, and then uh, we played um, Pinehurst, number two, on the way home. And when we got home, my wife said, well, how were the trips? What did, what did you guys like? And I said, he really, he likes Charleston a lot, you know, and, and, <laughs> and Ryan's like, Charleston was really awesome. And, you know, well, what else? What about, you know, what about Wake Forest? What about the University of South Carolina? What about whatever other schools, Elon, whatever other schools were on the trip? But if, if some of you parents are listening. You know, when you make that college, like Southern trip, these are all the schools you end up visiting. Uh, Clemson, all of those. Uh, he, you know, he really liked Charleston. Uh, it was just one, I think, out of, yeah, out of everywhere we went this weekend, in terms of the schools, he really liked Charleston. We went to one school <laughs> and then played golf at Kiowa, went to the first round of the Masters, and then played Pinehurst on the way home. Um, and, and by the way, he never went he to Charleston. He didn't, wind up go- he didn't wind up going there, did he? No, he went to Penn State. He went to Penn State. Yeah. But but on the Disney World thing, the best Disney World trip we ever made was in late September. We went in late September. My oldest was in school, you know, probably eight years old. The my my middle son was at that point five or six years old. And then Ryan, my youngest, was too young to go. So, you know, I think my mother, we stayed at my mother's or whatever. And we went down late September, and I'm telling you, the park was empty. It was the perfect Disney World trip. The other two times we went were this time of year, spring break time of year, and it's just, it's so crowded. Now, you know, you're easy, although you're not going to want to wait in lines. I, I, I would urge you to figure out how to get, and I don't even know what the, the, the super, you know, line skipping passes are of the day. It's been years. I'm going to ask Scott, though, because Scott was down there recently with his kids, and he had all of those passes, and he said it was like, you know, it made all the difference in the world. So I am going to actually, if you remind me, after this call, I'm going to reach out to him and Steve Sands. Steve lives in Orlando and find out if they can help you guys with some of the fast pass. Okay. Because seriously, wait, if not, you're wait. waiting in line for like 45 minutes to get on a ride. Okay, wait a minute here. You mean they didn't close the park for Scott Van Pelt? No, come on. They you sh- mean they didn't say, we're going to close the park and you, you, well, you don't have to wait on any lines for Scott? Um, Steve, Steve actually might be the bigger help here because, you know, Steve is Mr. Orlando, even though he's Mr. Golf Channel and Mr. NBC Sports. And by the way, he listens to the podcast uh, every day. Um, and he will be on either the radio show or the podcast next week because we are a week away now, less than a week. Well, we're a week away from, from day two of the baseball season. Uh, by the way, is DeGrom now going to start it? Did I see that he got hurt? Uh, he's getting an MRI. Uh, he may not. He may not start opening day. Well, would that be Scherzer, Scherzer then? Scherzer would start. Uh, then we don't it, have it to. Would be Scherzer then? I would think that would be awesome. I think then, so. then we don't have to. You know. Then you don't have to have Apple TV to see Scherzer on yeah. night two. But we are next week in Masters week, and there's a chance that Tiger Woods is going to play Augusta, which would really be one of the incredible sports stories of the year. I know you don't care. Uh, but Sands um, will uh, 
will join us uh, next week at, at some point, uh, radio or TV, uh, in preparation for Augusta. And Scott's going to be down there all week as well. Actually, I'm going to see him tonight. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that you, especially with, uh, you know, the, your, I know that sometimes your go-along to get along or you, you'd like to, to have people believe that you are that. But if you're standing in a third or fourth straight line to go on some ride, um, which you won't be doing. You'll be, you know, sitting over there with your turkey leg on a, on a bench, um, watching Liz and your granddaughter in line. But the, if the, the, the when it's that crowded, you got to have some of those fast track passes or whatever they they are called. It makes a big difference. Okay, we will we will look into it. I kind of left it to her, and I'm just assuming she probably didn't do that. Okay, well. So. Um, where do you want to start today? I mean, there's so much. I think we have to start with what I had to actually redo the beginning of the podcast yesterday on, and that is, you know, this story of financial impropriety. You know, we had, there's now been a GOP response to this story from Congress, and I will read that as well. Um, I uh, I had Andy, by the way, on the podcast yesterday. I would urge all of you to go back and listen to it. Um, Andy was talking about, um, did you see the Facebook posts that he made about 30 years? Yeah, about 30 years at, at uh, yeah, at uh, WTEM, yeah. Right. So we ended up talking a lot yeah. yesterday. And, you know, Andy was obviously there as the beginning. You know, the Rails brothers ba- basically yeah. hired Andy to, you know, hire everybody else uh, and start figuring out, you know, what the station was going to look like. So um, it was actually a great conversation. And we both talked about afterwards. I don't think we did this on the air, but we're going to figure out, uh, you know, and Andy's good at kind of organizing these things. You're actually very good at organizing things too. Um, But Andy's like, all right, you, me, Tommy, Zabe, Doc, you know, Scott, CJ, we got to get everybody together and do a dinner, Scott Jackson, everybody. Um, and do a dinner one night. It's been a while since all of us have been together. It's been a while for yeah, a lot of people to be together. Right. Count me in. Okay, so um, don't forget to rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify. Thanks. So I guess, you know, let me just update everybody that, you know, isn't up to date on this story, and then we'll get after it in terms of our response. So yesterday, you know, once again, you know, barely a day can pass by without something resembling controversy or scandal or something non-football related um, about the Washington uh, commanders, as they're known. Uh, this one yesterday from the Post, Congress investigating allegations of financial impropriety by the commanders. The congressional committee that is investigating the NFL's handling of widespread sexual harassment in the Washington commander's workplace is now also looking into allegations of financial improprieties under Dan Snyder's ownership. Multiple people familiar with the proceedings said allegations came to light in recent weeks as the House Committee on Oversight and Reform reviewed more than 80,000 pages of documents. Um, and, uh, you know, and interviewed witnesses in its inquiry of the team's workplace stuff. Um, uh, and people with knowledge of this matter uh, speaking on the condition of anonymity because proceedings are so sensitive or at the sensitive stage said this is what, you know, this uh, House uh, Committee on Oversight and Reform are now looking into uh, financial improprieties. The investigation remains behind closed doors among the highest levels of the 45-person committee asked about the new phrase the new phase, excuse me, several members of the panel indicated that they've heard speculation about it, but said it remains at such a sensitive point that they do not know 
details. Uh, other members were completely unaware of this. Um, then there was this report from A.J. Perez at Front Office Sports. Tommy, a credible, uh, a credible publication. They've had some stuff in the past, right? Yes. So, Absolutely. So this was the kind of the follow-up from Front Office Sports and the story written by A.J. Perez. A congressional committee is expanding the scope of its investigation into the Washington Commanders and is primed to use its subpoena power to delve into the finances of the team and owner Dan Snyder. At least one person familiar with the team's financial health was already interviewed by the committee's investigators who are now exploring, exploring whether the Commanders used two books of financial information that paint different pictures of the team's money situation, sources with knowledge of the investigation told front office sports. The timing and the number of subpoenas, as well as who specifically will be targeted, was not immediately known. Front office sports has learned some of what the investigators are seeking through a series of interviews, most on the condition of anonymity for fear of retaliation or because details of the investigation have not been made public. Actually, all of the following details were clearly on the condition of anonymity, not most, because no one's attributed um, to uh, to any of these, this information in terms of a quote. So here were the three things that front office sports reported that Congress was looking into with respect to financial impropriety. Number one, the debt load Snyder has undertaken could be impacting the team's finances. As we know, Snyder received a debt waiver from the league's owners at the NFL's annual meeting a year ago in, in order to finance a large chunk of the, of the nearly billion dollars used to purchase the 40% of the franchise he didn't already own. As we know, Tommy, Fred Smith, Bob Schar, or Dwight Schar, and Bob Rothman, you also reported, by the way, a year ago, that uh, in addition to the debt waiver, uh, Snyder borrowed money from the league. Uh, to buy out those uh, minority shareholders. Uh, That was number one. So the debt load Snyder has undertaken could be impacting the team's finances. Number two is the committee is seeking interviews and documents related to allegations that the commanders use deceptive accounting practices. Per the NFL's constitution and bylaws, clubs are required to submit uh, a certified audit report annually. Investigators also, the third point was, investigators also received allegations of pay disparity between male and female employees, including bonuses. Now, the team's response yesterday, and I read this on the show yesterday, but just for the purposes of updating everybody, um, the team is not aware of any investigation by the House Oversight Committee regarding financial matters, despite vague and unsubstantiated claims today by anonymous sources. The team categorically denies any suggestion of financial impropriety of any kind at any time. We adhere to, we adhere to strict internal processes that are consistent with the industry and accounting standards and are audited annually by a globally respected independent auditing, auditing firm and are also subject to regular audits by the NFL. We continue to cooperate fully with the committee's work. Uh, today there was a GOP, hold on, I'm looking for it. Uh, I had it up here a second ago. Um, uh, where is it? Here it is. Um, this, uh, a GOP oversight committee spokesperson on the latest investigation, uh, into the commanders. Uh, this is GOP oversight spokesperson, Austin, Austin Hacker. 
quote, the leak of one-sided, unconfirmed, unsupported allegations from a disgruntled ex-employee with an axe to grind is just further proof that the Democrats' investigation is a waste of Congress's time. Nothing the committee has heard from any credible witness points to any financial improprieties. In fact, the only credible witness in a position to know the facts the Democrats have heard from has denied any such improprieties. The Democrats' investigation is nothing more than an attempt to draw attention away from their party's abysmal performance, both in the White House and Congress. The American people deserve better oversight from Congress. Um, yeah, and let me just let me just say one thing about that. Okay, the ending of it. You know, that he should have quit while he was ahead. I agree with that. Does anyone does anyone really think? That, they're, no, that the Democrats no. are using the investigation into the Redskins yeah, and to right. the commanders to call attention from Joe away from Joe Biden and the Democrats in the White and in Congress. Uh, this is this is their diversion. No, they, they there are a lot of diversions out there, but I don't think this yeah. is one of them. So no. I agree with you on that. All right, no, so that, I'll let I'll let you should have quit while he was head. All right, so I'll let you take the first swing on this latest you know story and report. Well. You know, I'm I'm curious because there's still some people out there that you know operate under the, the concept, the, the legal concept, which is a moral concept as well in our country, of innocent till proven guilty. But I would think that based on you know getting pounded over the head, like you said, like it, it's not just weekly; it's almost daily, with one thing after another after another. You have to shift what your moral compass with this team and operating under your premise, well, yeah, of course they did this. They're the commanders. Of course, they're, of course they did this and they did that and they committed this crime and, 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 and screwed this guy because that's what they do. I mean, so, I mean, I think, you know, you have to reverse the, the, the process that this country was founded on, the legal system of innocent till proven guilty, when you deal with this organization from now on. You have to operate on the premise, so of course they did that. Prove, us, prove they didn't. You know, however unfair that is. Okay? The second thing is, uh, you know, uh, you ever have a company called Enron? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we have a company called WorldCom. Yes. Or Wells Fargo. Yeah. All these companies, high rate, a high, high ranking, you know, big businesses. Cooking the books. With all kinds of auditors. All kinds of auditors. You know, I mean, Arthur Anderson was a, a respected, uh, you know, a financial auditing company, and had to, and went out of business because of Enron. So. You know, don't tell me that our books are audited. You know, that means nothing to me. That's my thoughts. Okay. I don't, yeah, and here's the other thing. And I heard you talking about a little bit about this on your radio show, because whenever I'm up that early and I'm driving, mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to your radio show. Right. Of course, because I enjoy it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I heard you talking about, you know, like it, it kind of like, goes away from what the fo- this financial arm of it goes away from what the focus seems to should be and that the you know the sexual uh, misconduct uh, charges and, uh, right. and I would say that I would say that in an investigation uh, at least at this stage you want to expand it as much as you can 
Okay, but you I... Want, d- you, want to, you want to expand. Maybe for publicity purposes it's not the best, but I think you want to reel in as much as you can to get as many people talking. So you don't want to... You want to open every door you can, you can, you can open until the point is where you've, got to, where you've got to narrow it and come to a conclusion. But at this point, look, remember, they're, they're still interested. We haven't heard anything about the Gruden emails. I mean, that's what sparked this whole thing, the Gruden, <laughs> Bruce Allen emails. Yeah. We haven't heard anything about that. So I'm assuming they're still interested in that as well. So uh, I, just th- I just think that they're just expanding their investigation. I have no idea of the credibility or the strength of any of these financial issues that they're talking about, but uh, and of course it, w- it was leaked. I mean, the only people who else would know about this, except a handful of people on the committee. Yeah. So I mean, and it is and, DC and, and everything. And people, it, yeah, and people leak everything. Um. So yeah. Uh, so with respect to what you just said, I, I my my point was, um, you know, it was part of a of an overarching theme, which is just be careful. Don't overreach on something where there's nothing there, because you know you're gonna you're gonna give people the impression that the core thing that you are investigating, you know, might have some wobbly legs to it, and you could ultimately create some empathy for this guy, sympathy for this guy. But by the way, by the way, um, back to your first point. I, I I agree with you, and we've talked about this for years now. You assume the worst with this team, and they've earned that. Okay, they've they've earned over their over over the course of the twenty two and a half years of Dan Snyder, you know, to believe anything horrible said or reported about them. The problem with this one is I don't even know what they're being reported. I don't even know what's being really reported on. Uh, and, and, and that's a little bit of my frustration. And again, more information might come out. But we're kind of where we are yesterday to a certain degree with the exception of I didn't have the front office sports report yesterday. But let me start with this. I mean, I just I can't get over the Ron Rivera earlier this week down in Florida <laughs> saying, you know, we're an easy target, I'm tired of it, and basically, in his own way, pleading, Tommy, for everybody to just focus on the football. You know, and, and the few of you out there that are really kind of, you know, off on all of this, where you kind of blame the media uh, for all of this, which is absurd, right? But literally, since Ron Rivera's, you know, uh, plea on Monday, and you could tell in his voice if you listen to that, there is definitely some emotion and frustration because I do think they believe they're doing some decent things on the football side. And whether you agree with that or not, it's more competent football-wise than it, than it was. Um, but he, he's never going to get away from the fact that he's working for Dan Snyder. And Dan Snyder has this black cloud hanging over him, which, by the way, all the dust that he's kicked up created the cloud. Like it's his, it's it's all self-inflicted, and he's you know he decided you know with maybe a nudge from Gibbs with a, a bit of a warning to take this gig. And I understand a lot of what happened after he took the gig: the pandemic, the name change, the 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 post you know reporting that led to all of the sexual assault you know investigations, etc. You couldn't see it being this bad, 
But we know that, you know, while it didn't maybe happen every day or every few days, it was certainly having, happening every few months, you know, before Rivera got here. You know, there are one or two big ones a year where you're like, Jesus Christ, get rid of this guy. And, and we're not even talking about the yeah. results in the field. I just... I just would love, like, I'm sure Rivera got back from Florida this week and said, Alex Smith said what on the Rich Eisen podcast? Yes. Yes. And, then, and yes. then said what? The Post is reporting what? Oh, my God. What, what, are, we, what are we doing here? I mean, seriously, because he's, he's a decent person. I really believe that. And, and, you know, you can go back to the Jerry Richardson stuff, and I get that, you know, and all of that. But the bottom line is... Especially given that he beat cancer, you know, a year, uh, you know, just over a year ago, I, I don't know how much more of this he's going to be able to take. But anyway, that's the first thing that I I thought of. The second thing is, it's the same thing I thought yesterday. It's like after I read the post, and even after I read the details of the front office story, it's like, where? So what did they do? Like, what's going on? So the debt that Snyder's undertaken could be impacting the team's finances? Well, no shit. Of course, anytime you take on that much debt, you know, uh, you're gonna, it's going to impact the team's finances. So the committee seeking interviews and documents related to allegations that the commanders use deceptive accounting practices, you know, that there are two books. Okay, that kind of sounds serious. But I don't really know what that means. I mean, I understand Enron. What was the guy's name? Did he commit suicide, Kenneth, whatever his name was? What was that guy's name? The Enron guy? I don't remember. After that, did he commit suicide? Whatever. I don't remember. Um, I don't know. Okay. Uh, but, But anyway, you know, I... There might be something there. There, you know, maybe they provided fraudulent numbers to the three minority shareholders as part of the, you know, way to get to a final price on the team. Uh, you know, maybe somehow maybe they they're they providing something to the league. But by the way, that's not Congress's purview. That's not something that Congress. Are they going to hand it over to the DOJ? Uh, it sounds more like, you know, I talked to somebody about this yesterday, and, and they said, I, I listened to your podcast, you're right, this isn't something that Congress would deal with. This would be settled in court or, you know, more likely not uh, than not in a civil case between the minority shareholders. Yeah, but, you need, but you need a plaintiff. You need a plaintiff in court. Okay. I mean, who's going to, who, I mean, who, who's hurt? I you know? Say again, who's hurt, did you say Hurt. In other words, like, who's the injured party? Well, if they're, I, I, if they're cooking, the I don't book. know. In this specific example, we might be saying that the three minority shareholders, you know, overpay, uh, you know, or didn't get enough for their share based on the numbers that were provided in terms of the financial health of of the company or or the team. Um, but you know, all of that stuff gets funneled through the NFL. All of these sales aren't made just between Dan Snyder and the three minority shareholders. They waived the debt limit for him. They loaned him the money to do this. And then the third thing, investigators also received allegations of pay disparity between male and female employees, including bonuses. Well, is that a shock to anybody that Female employees may be getting paid less than male employees. I, so anyway, my, my second reaction was, I don't know where the real substance here is. Uh, by the way, I'm not saying that I'm right on this. There isn't anything that jumps out and it's like, whoa, tax fraud. 
They could get them on tax fraud or, you know, whatever. Um, again, I could be wrong. I could be missing something and more information could come out, you know, a- after the fact. But that leads me to this. And that is, and again, you, the two of us, we're hardly Dan Snyder sympathizers or defenders. And by the way, I hope, let me be really, really brutally honest and transparent. I hope there's something that they can get him on. I hope there's something that Congress found in their investigation of, of the sexual harassment stuff uh, for the purposes of improving HR or whatever the, you know, the big goal of doing this is um, for Congress that you know, can go to the, uh, you know, that, 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 could be, that could result in some sort of criminal charge that could cause him to lose his team. I hope that's the case. I wouldn't bet on it. But here's the point that I, I felt yesterday just in my gut, and that was... You know, just be careful. I'm not saying that anybody's ever going to actually have sympathy for him, but the Tiffany Johnston, you know, accusation of a hand on a leg underneath a table and a a, a nudge into a limousine, the reason they were so quick to denounce it and, 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 you know, uh, basically open up, attempt to open up their own investigation of it is because they saw an opportunity for a result that would give, because, you know, he, he thinks she's a liar or they don't think they could prove it. And so they're looking for these PR wins so that if they won that one, they could say, see, all of this stuff is bullshit. And the NFL obviously shut that down and said, you're not investigating yourself. We'll handle that. Um, and so if Congress starts to overreach and they, and, and this stuff is kind of, you know, a leak, you know, Neil and Rockville was on with me this morning and I love him dearly, but he actually mentioned something that kind of makes sense. This guy, Jeff Connolly, who's on this house, you know, uh, oversight and reform committee is a Virginia guy. He doesn't want the stadium there. He doesn't want the 350 million committed, which are going to vote on Monday. You know, the leak could have come to sort of, you know, somehow impact the stadium vote in Virginia, whatever it is, be careful because if you start reaching for stuff overreaching and there's not a lot of substance to it you know and then all of a sudden you give him a couple of PR wins you know they'll take that and run with it and then all of a sudden people start to say what's going on here you know we don't like them we hope all this is true but what's going on here that was my only uh you know the only point um about the you know, moving off of the core goal, which is the sexual, you know, uh, the sexual uh, misconduct and, and, you know, the, the atmosphere, the misogynistic uh, workplace uh, culture in Washington and focusing on something unless they really have something. I don't think it's possible to overreach with this organization. I don't think it's possible. Again, uh, one of Lavero's rules, if things look bad from the outside they're usually much, much worse. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's possible to over, overreach with this thing. I think that you need to dig and, 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 and raise every kernel you can because every, every kernel could turn into a boulder with this organization. Yeah, so but what if, what if, what if, what if seven worried. reaches? I'm what not, if, se- not, what I, if I seven what, reaches fail? In, in, in 20 years, how many, how many attacks have been on Dan Snyder that he turned around and used to his advantage. I, I, I'm, I don't know. No, I'll hang up not, and wait. not many. Not many, if any. No. That, that's so true. I think, I think it, it, it's a risk 
it's an easy risk for me if I'm them. But wouldn't you agree this is the most bloodthirsty environment of all time to get him? Yes. So yeah. so what if they swung and missed on three or four of these things? You don't think that that could I don't think Yeah. Okay. I think that I think that I think that, you know, whatever they find will be worse than what we know. What we what we know a, a month from now about Dan Snyder will be worse than what we know today. Okay. Um, <clears throat> look, I, I so remember. Am... Remember one other thing, uh, and I never forgot this. You know, John Moog is a very important power broker in the state of Maryland. Right. He used to be chairman of the Maryland Stadium Authority. Uh, he's a financial advisor. He was advising and representing the three minority owners. I remember. Uh, in this deal. You know, to 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 get them bought out by Snyder, and and him and Snyder had a big you know set to via text back and forth, and uh, there was always this text I never forgot from Moog. Uh, if you continue your game, you know what I know, and what I have never spoken about, right. and you know it has nothing to do about the media s media shit. It's the more serious shit. If you want to get it to a clean conclusion, let me know. If you want a shit show, we are on for that, too. Okay. What was John Moog talking about? Well, I remember as you were reading it, I remember when you brought up his name, that there was the minority shareholder representation. Um, I also think that there was a Bezos connection to Moog, if I, don't, if I recall correctly, but... Beyond that, um, if he wasn't talking about all of the sexual harassment stuff, I don't know what he was talking about. The, but the bottom line is the three minority shareholders dropped their lawsuit against Dan Snyder and accepted, yes, the, de- and accepted the deal, which Moog, yeah, which Moog right. probably brokered on their behalf. Yes, probably. You're probably right. Well, we may never know what John Moog was talking about. But if he wasn't talking about sex, then he was talking about money. <laughs> Sex, drugs, money, and rock and roll, uh, and it probably right. wasn't rock and roll. Um, although I, you know, the the um, he did request you two apparently to go with the cheerleader video, the special cheerleader uh, video he got. He wanted music behind it, <laughs> yeah. if you recall. Um, you know, the um, uh, you just reminded me of something, and what was I going to say off of that? I, I guess, well, it's a couple of things. Number one, the leaks. Who Congress leaked this more likely than not? Who knows? Maybe the NFL leaked it. Maybe just everybody's Maybe the in this. NFL blo- did. Yeah, perhaps there are in this bloodthirsty environment of just wanting him to you know to to get to get to this point where he bails. Like, but but he's not going to, Tommy. He has already shown us the calls from lawyers to you and others. He didn't get fined. The team got fined. He wasn't suspended. We've seen him dig his heels in even further. So the strategy of going after him and annoying him and harassing him, if you even want to describe it that way, uh, you know, and and the potential of him appearing in front of Congress, he's just digging in his heels further. Why? Because he's a narcissist and he doesn't think he's wrong. He doesn't think this is anything about him. So that strategy isn't going to work. Secondly, the leaks... My God, what if they did come from him? You know, what if the original, the Bruce Allen stuff and John Gruden stuff, which really rekindled all of this, this, this stuff was yes. 
almost, this stuff was dying on the vine, if not dead already. And what if, you know, somebody associated with him, they've denied it, they've denied it, and there are other possibilities, including league people and, you know, the league itself. Remember, that was the Charles Robinson Yahoo theory, I think. But what if it was? But, but again, but let's, let's divide those up, uh, just so we're clear. Uh, there's two sets of leaks. One might follow the other. The first leaks came from the Wall Street Journal. That's right. And the second leaks came from the New York Times. Right. And the theory is the New York Times leaks came from the league because they felt that Gruden was such a so was such a damaged figure from the Wall Street Journal leaks that they wanted to make sure the Raiders force got rid of him. And the Wall Street Journal story um, was the one that first t- talked about the comments he made about um, the head of the players' union, Demora Smith. Yes. And the writer that wrote that story was the writer that had written uh, Beaton. Was it? What, was that his name? That that had and, written Andrew Beaton. Andrew Beaton, who had written that embarrassing puff piece on Snyder a few months earlier. And a few months before that, uh, the Washington Football Team made a big hire of some high-ranking communications official who used to work for Dow Jones. Right. The company that owns the Wall Street Journal. Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah, that that was, uh, what's his face? Um, The guy that's there still now. Um, Yeah. I'm forgetting his name. I'm forgetting That's his okay. name. We don't need uh, they've, they've got the guy, you know, Resch, that was down at the league meetings who came from, you know, was the CFO of Rock Nation, the Jay-Z thing. And then there was the other guy. Maybe he's the one that left recently. I mean, trying to keep track of all of this is really hard. But, you know, back to the league thing, it really would, at the end of the day, be so poetic if it, if it actually was Snyder or somebody associated with Snyder that leaked that initially to the Wall Street Journal to get at, to get back at Bruce to embarrass Bruce, and it basically reignited all of this. It really yeah. would because well, which is but 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 again, it fits his mo. I mean, he is a self-destructive individual. Right. People people who are as petty and who live in a world that he that he operates that he thinks exists will always self-destruct. It's, this is the aura of self-destruction. This is what I've been talking about for years. <laughs> yes, you know, that yes, I know. cloud. I know. That's the aura of self-destruction. Now, now it's not, the point is not to um, embarrass Snyder or to make it so distasteful that Snyder would leave. That's never going to happen. The point is to make it so embarrassing to be in business with Dan Snyder that, like Anheuser-Busch, get out of business with Dan Snyder. That's the point of all this. The point, and, and, and it, the point of it is to get the NFL at some point to come to that conclusion. And again, it may, the conclu- that may not happen until Roger Goodell is forced to sit in a, in a chair in front of that committee on, on, on televised hearings to defend Dan Snyder where they come to that conclusion. But it's not to get... Snyder's not leaving, but they can't. But, the, but they can't. Ta- have to make they can't so, take so away. Odorous, but they can't take away his team them. just because he's a terrible owner and ruining a market. Either I, 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 I this well, I is. Think, I think there's got to be provisions in ownership that 
look, I think they can take away his team for any any reason they want, to be honest with you. Um, okay. I mean, the other thing, you know, that we haven't talked about and I, you know, just referred to moments ago since you came on earlier in the week is just, you know, the Matt Paris report in your newspaper that Snyder has been back, you know, working day to day, which, you know, is sort of in conflict with what Goodell said the other day. I, to be honest with you, that whole, that whole thing about fined, not fined, suspended, not suspended, you know, the bottom line is the league wanted to do more, and Snyder said, try it. Just try it. You know, so there's a lot of, you know, the, the part of why, first of all, I, I, I want to make sure one thing clear. I'm not, I disagree with you. I think this financial story right now, if I had to wager, I would wager that it doesn't amount to much um, and that it was a swing and a miss. And I'm not saying it's going to really hurt them, but I would say if you had four or five of those swing and misses, it could start to hurt and help Dan, which is really a reach. I understand that. Um, the other thing, back to the, um, you know, has he been allowed to be in the building, whatever, it's, it's, there's a rift there. And they appear to be afraid of coming out and saying, we wanted to suspend him or we wanted to fine him or, you know, he's not allowed to be in the facility because it, they, they waived the debt limit for him. They loaned him money. Let's not forget about that either. As much as they hate him and they want him gone, which is true, they're also like borderline afraid of him. That is, that's inexplicable to me. Do you agree I mean, with it or not? The, uh, 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 I agree with you. I mean, their actions would indicate that they they cower to him. You're right. Their actions their actions would indicate that. And uh, I I mean I find it hard I I find it hard to believe this is just based on you know the owner saying there but with the grace of God go I and not want to kick anybody out of their club for fear they'll be kicked out someday as well. I I find I I can't believe it comes down to something as simple as that. Why not? It it, it, it often I mean, does. You know, it's uh, again. It's if this were in this day and age, obviously it should be in any day and age. If this were about racism, or if this were about you know homophobe, or if this were about a true sexual assault, um, you know, then you can't avoid it. But other than those biggies, it's like. Be careful because he's come and they know him. They, they this guy. We know he sued the city paper. He sued. He sued old lady season ticket holders. He's litigious yeah. as hell. And if they tried to take away his team for just being a horrible owner, which all of those people would agree on, it's going to be in the courts forever. I guess it I don't probably know. Probably would. That he certainly wouldn't leave on his own, you know, willingly. No. I mean, I, I do come back to no, one but thing. Again, here's what we don't know. We don't know what's in an agreement to own an NFL team. Because that would tell you there are certain things you agree to, and we don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. And some of those things you agree to are ways they can get rid of you. I also think you're That's not allowed to every agreement. Isn't there also something we've read before that where you really can't 
sue the other owners, even though Al Davis did it for that, years. I, yeah. Uh, I, I, I've read that, too. I've heard that, too. Again, people who cover the league who know more about this than I do have, have written that, that you can't really – owners can't sue other owners. But uh, they seem to have a fear – of what this guy will do. They certainly can't admire him. They can't just say, wow, you know, this, this guy, he's had a rough 20 years, but I could sense he's about to turn it around. <laughs> well, yes. And I also and I also think that, um, you know, some of this could have to do with him giving up the name. You know, there there may have been some sort of quid pro quo. It's like, you got to bail on this thing, dude. We don't agree with it either, but now you got FedEx, you got PepsiCo, you got Bank of America. You know, we're in a world where, you know, it can't handle it right now. You're going to have to do this, and we'll have your back on some of these other things. I don't, you know, some of that could be part of it too. Because God knows. It could be. It it could be. And 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 I tell you what, the, the thing that may ultimately get him, and I've heard somebody I know in the business. Uh, in the league, has speculated this to me privately. The most important thing an owner does, as far as the NFL is concerned, is get a new stadium. The most important thing they do. Yeah. And if he screws this up, that may be the thing that drives him out. All right, well, let's talk about that, because we haven't talked about that this week and some of the reporting that came out from the guy from WUSA TV9, um, Eric yeah, uh, I, I'll pull it up. I, I have his last name here somewhere. My fault. Um, but uh, we'll we'll read through that. Comment on that. Also, Tim Murray sent me something a little while ago about what Warren Sharp. Uh, Warren Sharp's been a long time sort of NFL analyst, and uh, you know about the, the Washington's schedule um, this upcoming season. We'll get to that. Also, twenty years ago tonight, uh, Maryland uh, won their. Lone National Championship. Final four discussion as well before the end of the show, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Eric Flack is the uh, the guy from WUSA TV Nine. It's he's been doing a really good job on the stadium reporting stuff over the last you yeah, know month yeah. month or so. Um, and actually, as we're recording this, you know, I just pulled up his Twitter, 
and he's breaking news right now. He interviewed in a one-on-one interview with Jason Wright today, and he tweeted out the following. Um, During a one-on-one interview with Washington Commanders President uh, Jason Wright, uh, Jason Wright revealed the new stadium will have a dome, but he will not commit to being out of FedEx Field by 2027 when the lease is set to expire. You can't close the door on anything at this stage, um, said Jason Wright. Eric Flack also wrote, Wright also made clear the team does expect a financial investment in some form wherever it builds a new stadium, but it's not about giving Dan money and it's not inciting a bidding war. It's just actually the due diligence of finding the proper site for stadium vision. Oh boy, here he goes sort of talking in. Okay, I think I understand what he's saying there. Um, I, I, I'll go back and read his report from earlier in the week here in a minute or two. I'm not going to sit here and uh, break my own arm patting Tommy on the back. Um, but God, everything is pointing now more and more to perhaps Landover. Um, I want to make one thing clear. I think I'm clear on this. I think this is accurate. They can stay with FedEx Field on that spot for as long as they want. They were committed for 30 years. They own the land. He owns the land. He owns the stadium. The lease was to play there for a minimum of 30 years. By the way, that was so that PG County and the state of Maryland could, you know, uh, make sure that whatever their investment was in the stadium and in the infrastructure, uh, you know, that they get 30 years out of it. But this is becoming more and more possible, if not likely, that they're going to play in FedEx Field longer than we think. The dome thing, I'm not a big fan of the dome thing, but you know they're going to have to turn this into. Um, I think it should be a retractable roof, but that I guess is is more money. But um, uh, Maryland is not going to give them any more money. This has been made clear by Hogan in the past, and I don't know about PG County. They're going to give them infrastructure money, but they're not giving Dan one penny for the for the building of anything around there other than infrastructure, yeah. which is a lot less not than what Virginia is off, you know, potentially offering. Am right. I right about that? And yeah, and again, the you know, in the, the whole Virginia scenario, which I, I find humorous on so many levels, uh, there's a long way between uh, you know a bill. Uh, you know, offering to put up $350 million or $300 million in, in financing and a stadium. There's a long way between those two things. Uh, look, uh, you're right. I mean, they could, they could play in, in, in FedEx Field. So there, there's no – I don't understand there to be any particular deadline that they have to leave. They don't have to leave. I think you're right. Uh, I've maintained all along – the Bills just announced they're building a new stadium right next to the old stadium, okay, where the Giants built their stadium and the Eagles built their stadium. It's the path of least resistance. So that's, that's you know, important. You know, what you've got to do is make, make accessibility to that stadium uh, either through some kind of uh, – of uh, transit system, transit extension from the metro stop, better. Right, and that—that's that the key. 
And that, that might be the investment. That might be the investment from yeah. the state or the county, however that would work. Yeah, I mean, especially if they have bigger plans since there's a stadium there, you know, some kind of business complex there. Uh, you would want to be connected to the, the metro more than a, a mile and a half walk from Morgan Station uh, uh, stop. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I still think that that's where it's going to wind up, and it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, I just, I mean, the best thing in the world, everyone agrees, at RFK, but that's got the biggest roadblocks of all. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, so I just think that uh, there's nothing wrong. It's not like, you know, he, he would have anything to be ashamed of if they said, we're going to build a stadium on this land that we own right next to the old stadium. And it's going to be part of a complex where ultimately it will be easier to get to the stadium for everybody. You know, Jason writes comment that he's not going to commit to being out of FedEx Field by 2027 when the lease is set to expire confirms that they don't have to leave in 2027. I just want to be clear on that. Look, they own the land, they own the stadium. So all it is, if the lease runs out in 2027, all it is is the landowner, the stadium owner, doing a new lease with the team. Well, it's the same group. It's Snyder. They own they own the land, yeah. they own the stadium, I mean, and they're 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 also the tenant. So I, I they, they can stay there as long as they want. You've made it clear. Like I think you know they they offer some infrastructure dollars. The state of Maryland does. They improve you know the metro access. They build some sort of new road or a bridge or a tunnel or whatever it is, and boom, that's their investment. Whereas Virginia is offering. Well, they'll, we'll find out on Monday or Tuesday or whenever that vote is. If they're going to commit $350 million to the team, because that would be a much larger commitment than the state of Maryland. And right now, the D.C. thing, you've been telling me this this for a while. I've talked to one or two people over the last couple of months. They essentially said, as much as Muriel Bowser might want the team and some members of the council might want the team, it's problematic because not everybody wants the team and... That land, the RFK land, is owned by the Department of, of Interior, by the federal government. Like it's, a, it's yes. just, and and they're not going to get taxpayers in DC to pluck nickel one down, other than infrastructure stuff. I would think though that the infrastructure stuff for DC is much easier because the metro's right there. Um, you know the armory. Um, but uh, so let me go back to what Flack reported earlier this week. You know, his report was that they had slashed the billion-dollar commitment to $350 million. And then there were these two quotes, which were really interesting. One state senator who asked not to be identified so that he could speak freely on the issue. Boy, there's a lot of anonymity um, when it comes to speaking about the football team or Snyder or anybody else. Yes, there is. Um, not from us. No. Not from us, right? No, no. Although We put our name on everything. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, there's something that you did tell me before the show that I'm going to have on next week's show where I'm going to say somebody uh, on the condition of anonymity told me. Um, I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> pup, this first quote from this state senator uh, on the condition of anonymity. Public reaction to this project has been underwhelming. With every passing day, it's evident the team lacks gravity. And then that state senator said, quote, a lot of us have concerns that the team has the ability to stay viable for a decade 
or even five years, closed quote. So let me make sure I have this right, because somebody explained this to me recently. The Virginia offer of, you know, potentially, and they're going to vote on this next week. You know, this is, the, this is the final passage of this bill. And you can elaborate a little bit more on if, you know, the passing of this bill of $350 million in commitment and then eventually getting an actual stadium plan going with the rest of the money. You can talk about how difficult that is because I think I have a vague understanding of that. But this $350 million commitment is essentially going to be handled through the selling of bonds, you know, essentially they're going to, you know, um, they're, they're going to invest the $350 million based on future tax revenue down the road that will pay for, you know, the, the, the bond, uh, the, the bonds that they, they take out um, to, to, to generate the $350 million, the, the bonds that they sell to generate the $350 million. And so what this state senator is saying is, essentially, I think he's saying, you know, are we going to be able to pay this thing back? Because this team isn't viable. This team lacks gravity. Well, I would suggest to this state senator, as bad as the team has been, as low as the attendance has been, as much as the interest has eroded, it's still a GD NFL team, okay? They're an NFL team. They're not going out of business, they're going to keep playing games in the new stadium that's built. You know, and once the, by the way, once that stadium is built, that's a commitment to obviously stay in the market, not relocate, um, which, you know, I've thrown out in the last couple of days because it's like if nobody wants to build them a stadium, what's been the big, biggest driver of franchise movement over the last 30 years? It's a city not, you know, chipping in to build a stadium for the owner. You know, that's why Cleveland, you know, left for Baltimore. That's why San Diego left for L.A., et cetera, right? Um, I don't think he's going to relocate, relocate, relocate the team, although I wouldn't mind it if he did if, if we were guaranteed an expansion team right away. I would love that. Uh, but Like Cleveland, like what happened in yeah, Cleveland. Yeah, like Cleveland, although they did have one season without football. Well, yeah, they, they had more than one season without football. What, why? They had three years without football. No, no, it wasn't three years, was it? Yeah, they did. They had to build a new stadium before they could have a new team. Was it three? They, I mean, they had. Yeah, they played. They played in a new stadium. The, the the new Browns. They didn't play in the old stadium. Interesting. So I think it's about. I, I think thought... they started in '99, and uh, the Ravens started in '96. So I think it's a three-year right, span. I, I, I'm going to look that up. That's that's fine. But t- just tell me this real quickly. Um. This guy's this that's hyperbole, don't you think? From a guy that just doesn't want this bill to pass? Uh, probably. But he is right that there's not a lot of momentum. I mean his the first part of what he said is accurate, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know? There's not a lot of momentum behind it. Of course you're right, it's an NFL team. I mean you're gonna get your money. You know? Yeah. They're not <laughs> going they're not gonna but, go out but, of business. No. But the first part, I, I think, is right. Let's talk about the $350 million for a second. By the way, you're right. I mean, three years, 96, 97, 98, Cle- uh, Cleveland okay. didn't have a team. Okay. Yeah, because I covered the opening. Yeah, no, you're of, right. Of I, th- I don't know Brown why I thought it was much less than that. Okay, go ahead. So uh, the $350 million is like cab fare home from Shelley's. <laughs> I mean, the, the bills 
they're building are going to build a new stadium in Buffalo on land that they own. Okay, that's going to cost an estimated one point four billion dollars. Right. So so that's almost a that's over a billion dollars more that Dan Snyder would have to come up with. Plus, for an adjacent right, it's going to be a dome stadium, which could add maybe another billion dollars to the cost. Is that what it is? Is that that's not what it is? I don't is know. It? I know. Okay. okay, let's say half a billion. Yeah, that costs at least five hundred million more to put a dome on a stadium. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then he's got to acquire the land, right? In Virginia. Yeah. They're going to have to acquire the land. Apparently there's some land at one of the sites that he already owns, I think. Um, I don't... Okay, uh, okay. well, let's, let's operate on premise he doesn't have to acquire the land. Well, what, you, what are you, get, what are you getting to? What are you getting to? I mean, if Dan Snyder is going to have to come up with, on his own, if the Virginia deal, which is ludicrous, I think, it ever happened, let's say it happened, you know, if they, they went through with it, and they, they gave him the $350 million... He's going to have to come up with another two point seven billion. Two billion. If three billions, really? well, if three billions, the the overall tag for not just the stadium but everything else they want to do around it, because that's been a big part of it. You know, hotels, restaurants, a casino. You know, um, uh, all, all of what would go around it. The the, the billion when when it was reported that Virginia was willing to 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 contribute a billion dollars, it was to a three billion dollar price tag for one of those three sites: the Dulles site, the Woodbridge site, the Dumfries site. So if if it's still three billion dollars in Virginia, and now the commitment's three hundred and fifty million, which Michael Phillips I think totally nailed the fact that the reason they reduced it is they realized they were bidding against themselves. They didn't have to offer a billion dollars. They just needed to offer more than what Maryland was offering. DC's not offering anything, which was infrastructure in Maryland. So it, you know it would be two point six five billion dollars. He'd have to come up with on his own for that so, project. So I'm getting your point. I'm getting your point. Yeah, I'm getting your point. Yeah. How's he going to come up with that? I mean, that's a. He's going to have just for the stadium alone. He's going to have to come up with well over a billion dollars. Yeah, if you're if you're comparing it to to Buffalo, it's going to be more than that because of just the the land and the building and the expenses in a market like this versus upstate New York. So let's just yeah. say it's a billion okay. and a half more, you know, on his yeah. own. Yeah, no, I get it. The okay. the Pagulas only have to come up with 350 million. The rest of it Erie County yeah. and the state of of New York are picking up essentially a billion dollars of the 1.4 billion dollar cost. So it's it's yeah. the reverse for Snyder with a higher yeah. with a higher price tag. Yes. So, I don't know how he comes up. He's a, obviously, he's a smarter businessman than I am. Every, every businessman is a smarter businessman than I am. But uh, that's a lot of change to come up with for people who really, for the most part, don't want to do business with you. That is, you know, it's a really good point that Tommy just made because I don't think people have thought about this. You know, this Virginia vote next week, let's just say you got it. We're going to give you $350 million of, of it. And then Washington, by the way, it, that doesn't mean that Washington then accepts it and says, Virginia's our partner. Let's make plans. Let's pick a spot. Let's start the zoning. Let's start the land buying, all that. Whatever goes into it. I mean, my God, it's a process. 
you know, before you ever yeah. actually put a shovel into the ground. Um, at that point, to your point, okay, now we got to come up with $2.5 billion plus to do what we really want to do. How he, he needed a, a debt waiver and needed to borrow the money to pay off his minority shareholders. Now, one way to generate some capital was to clearly sell, you know, another big minority chunk of the team. And I think that's going to happen anyway. But all that's going to do is pay off the loan that he needed to buy out his previous shareholders. So, yeah, I don't know. That's it. Whereas in Landover, the cost is going to be much less. Yes, much less. Yeah. He has, he has uh, people there who, you know, they want him to stay there. Uh, he doesn't have to pay for the land. He doesn't have to go, go to public hearings. He doesn't have to deal with citizens fighting him. He doesn't have to deal with any of that. It's true. Which is what he'll face in Virginia. Guarantee it. By the way, Michael Virginia Phil- is a not in my backyard state. Michael Phillips did um, report today uh, from a Democrat in Fairfax. Everything I'm hearing is that the Virginia Stadium bill will pass when the special session opens Monday. Uh, but if for some reason it doesn't, whoa! Um, you know, if it doesn't, it's this fear. Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe the constituents of that state and of Northern Virginia in particular, they don't want it. Maybe they don't want to give one penny to Snyder. I mean, I, I would bet that if there was if there were polling on this, on what the actual constituents of Virginia, you know, if they wanna they wanna give Dan Snyder three hundred and fifty million, I can't imagine that more than fifty percent would say yes. I agree. But I, I would agree. So, um, all right. I, I wanted to, Tim Murray sent this to me earlier today, and I, I thought it was really interesting because for so many years I've talked about, you know, the in my, in my own mind anyway, the fallacy of the schedule conversation. You know, the, you know, the, the looking at next year's schedule and saying, oh, win, 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 loss, loss, you know, win, win, win. Loss. It just never works out because you really, NFL, the NFL's a, you know, week to week league, let alone, you know, year to year. And to do that is, is a joke. And, and I think most of you understand that, that when you, you know, you look at, at, at a schedule for the following year, it's really hard to predict. Well, Murray sent me this thing that Warren Sharp put together, and I won't bury the lead. The, the lead is that the commanders have the easiest strength of schedule for the upcoming 2022 season. And at the same time, based on you know uh, the, the real advanced metrics, not just records, okay, overall records, which is how you typically determine strength of schedule at the end of a year, but using more advanced metrics, Washington had the most difficult schedule in 2021. So... I, you know, looked into this a little bit and Warren Sharp from Sharp Football Analysis wrote this, you know, story yesterday, 2022 NFL strength of schedule, regular season, um, which teams have the easiest schedules uh, for 2022 based on projected win totals. The Washington, Washington Commanders have the easiest strength of schedule for the upcoming 2022 NFL season. So when I read that, 
and and this was what Murray's point was to me. He's like, look at what his you know overall analysis is based on. He he bases it on sort of Vegas win over you know win totals. You know the over under win totals. Remember we talked about this the other day. Washington's over under number yes. is seven and a half, right? So let me just say that's a much better way to evaluate an upcoming schedule than to look at last year's final records. That's a terrible way to look at it. You know, Vegas, as you know, I believe, has the most knowledge and the biggest handle on any of this. So it's not a bad way to look at next year's schedule based on the win totals, the projected win totals in Vegas. Now, he doesn't say here which, you know, Vegas sports book he uses. I don't know what he, who he uses. Maybe he uses an average of a lot of different ones, maybe. I don't know. But my, the point is that, first of all, one of the reasons it's so hard to look at a schedule and say hard or easy is you just you don't know really if those teams are going to be as good as you think they are. And then you don't know when you're going to catch those teams. When you play those teams is sometimes just as important, if not more important, as who you're playing. Like look at Washington next year. They have the Cleveland Browns on their schedule next year. Are they going to get the Cleveland Browns with Deshaun Watson at quarterback? Or are they going to catch the Cleveland Browns with Deshaun Watson being suspended? You know, and serving part of his six-game suspension. That's a big deal, you know, next year. Yes, it is. So, um, you know, are they going to get Aaron Rodgers? Because they play the Packers next year. Are they going to get Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, healthy? Or are they going to get Aaron Rodgers banged up? Are they going to play Kirk Cousins next year, which they do? With Kirk on a roll, are they going to catch Kirk with a banged-up offensive line? Because it's never Kirk's fault, Tommy. It's always somebody else's fault. <laughs> Just ask me. Um, but uh, I, it's interesting. Now, here's the one thing that I, I want to make sure everybody's clear on. So this guy, Warren Sharp, you know, using projected win totals from Vegas to determine schedule strength for next year which is a better way to do it rather than what the final records of the teams were last year. Much better way to do it. I just want everybody to understand this, that remember the teams in the NFC East all have almost the exact same schedules with the exception now of three games in a 17-game schedule. used to be two games. It's now three. You know, they play the same AFC division. They play the same NFC division. They play the same division games against one another. And then there are three different games. They play the team that finished in the same spot in their own division in the two divisions in the NFC that they're not playing the whole division of and one division in the AFC. For Washington this year, um, the schedule, uh, they're, playing, um, they're playing the NFC North. They're playing the AFC South. And then that's what all the NFC East teams play. And then the Washington three games that are different from everybody else's are the 49ers on the road, the the um, the Falcons at home, and the Browns at home as well. Remember, the NFC gets nine and eight next year. They got eight and nine last year in terms of home to road. But I want to make sure that everybody understands. That's great. You know, according to Warren Sharp, they've got the easiest schedule in the NFL. But by extension, the fact that they basically play for the, you know, for the most part the same schedule 
as everybody else in the division plays with the exception of three games. That means the other teams in the division are playing an easy schedule as well. And per Warren Sharp and the projected totals, and again, the difference would be three games, the Eagles have the third easiest schedule in the NFL. The Cowboys have the sixth easiest schedule in the NFL. And the Giants, based on projected Vegas win totals next year, have the eighth easiest schedule in the NFL. So if you get giddy over the fact that based on the Vegas totals next year, Washington's got the easiest schedule. Don't forget, the other three teams in the division basically play almost the same schedule, and all three of those teams have top eight easy schedules. Philadelphia at three, Dallas at six, the Giants at eight. So just letting everybody know that, you know, great, it's easy, but the other teams in the division have a very easy schedule on paper uh, based on projected win totals as well. I don't know if that made sense. Yeah. Hopefully it yeah. But you know what they? You know what the other teams don't have? Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz. Buddy. <laughs> That's right. They don't have Carson Wentz. Uh, all right. I got no questions about Carson Wentz. Nope. No questions. Uh, yes, you do, um, and I do too. But you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Up yep. ne- well, now it'll play out. Up next, uh, 20 years ago tonight, Maryland won their only national championship. More on that when we come back right after these words from a few of our sponsors. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hats off to this Hoosier team. And it's team effort. And it's humble coach Mike Davis. A wonderful run. 
to the championship game. Well, when you're not playing your best and you can still be a champion, that's a real tribute to a bunch of players, and that was the case for Maryland tonight. Maryland will get to end the game with the ball in their hands. Give it to Dixon. He deserves it. It's his shining moment, and for all the Terrapins as well, a first-ever national championship. The two seniors, part of more wins in four years than any time in Maryland's history, just jump on each other. Unusual game, but a very outstanding champion. That was 20 years ago tonight, Georgia Dome, uh, Maryland beating Indiana 64-52 to to capture their only national championship in men's basketball. 20 years ago. I had Gary Williams on the show this morning on the radio show. I would urge all of you to go listen to it You know, at theteam980.com or you can download the Odyssey app. Gary was great. It was so funny. Yeah, I listened to it. You know, you, it was you, really you, good. Yeah. I mean, he, I played a lot of the sound um, from the game that, you know, he has never watched in full. And he immediately got his, you know, competitive juices flowing as he often does because he did not like the way Billy Packer called the game at all. And he, yeah. I think he really wanted to take on Billy Packer. And it's true because I went back, I've, I've watched the game a couple of times and I went back and, and went through it yesterday as well. And Billy Packer was critical. You know what? It was an ugly game offensively for Maryland. Maryland was a high-scoring, fluid offensive team. They had scored 97 in the semifinals against Kansas, 90 in the regional final against UConn. And, you know, they really struggled, um, you know, in that game. And Billy Packer, you know, throughout the game said this is a really awkward game. And Maryland – and, you know, Gary heard some of that this morning. And, and you know, he wasn't very thrilled with it. It was great. I'm telling no, you that – he wasn't. That He's going to be competing until he is gone. It's amazing how great he looks for somebody his age because he looks phenomenal. He's in great shape. And it, it takes very little for him to get, you know, I, really? Really? All right, well, let's go play. You know, he's ready to compete uh, at the drop of a hat. But anyway, um, God, that was so great, Tommy, 20 years ago. I, I think I've told yeah, it was. you. I, think I enjoyed it a lot. Were you there covering it? No, I wasn't covering it, but watching it from afar, I know my my boys were into it. It was it was a lot of fun. I think I've told you this story before. Um, I the the semifinal against Kansas was on Easter Eve, and my boys were young, and they were really excited about the Easter Bunny. So I did not go down there for the weekend because I wanted to spend Easter with the family. But I had a ticket, and I had a, a plane ticket um, for Monday if they made it to the final. Uh, my brother was in town, and Scott, you know, a bunch of us had tickets together, and I, I was stuck at National Airport. I had like a 4 o'clock flight that would get me down there at 5.30, 5.45, whatever, jump in a cab, meet them wherever they were, have plenty of time to get to the Georgia Dome in the game. And the flight had mechanical issues at the gate and was delayed and delayed and delayed. And then finally, at like 6.30, 6.45, I bailed. I'm like, I'm not going to risk missing any of this game. You know, I'm not going to be in a cab driving to the Georgia Dome and miss the first 10 minutes of the game. I just did, I wasn't going to do that. So I went home and I ended up watching the game at home. I never, I did not go um, to the final, but 
Um, I've mentioned this many times in the past. The, the, that championship is one of the greatest sports rooting moments of my life. You know, it was such um, to be in that position on that Monday night after watching it for so many years was great. But I still have said, and I've said this before, going to the Final Four the year before beating Stanford was the most emotional I've ever been as a Maryland fan because making it to the Final Four, it's weird about that sport, making it to the Final Four is celebrated, you know, as almost as much as a championship is in some cases. And Maryland had had all those teams over the years going back to lefty that we thought were Final Four teams. They had never made it, and Gary finally got the team there in 2001. That was incredible. And then beating Duke in the ACC Finals, the ACC Tournament Finals in 2004, was incredible too. Um, but I'm not going to say that it tops winning it all. That was a great night. Um, awkward game. Big spot for Juan Dixon in the second half when Jared Jeffries gave Indiana the lead with 10 minutes to go, and Dixon immediately answered on a pass from Blake with a three in the corner to give Maryland the lead. Gary Williams getting very exasperated over there, Jim. He knows his team is playing a game that he's not familiar with. Another position. Jeffries. Count the basket. Indiana has its first lead of the final. And now nobody coming back. Look at how confused Maryland is. Newton almost picked off another one. Now Blake splits the defenders. Back outside. Dixon for the lead back. Yes. Huge play. 45-44 Maryland. Juan Dixon's first field goal since the 10-03 mark of the first half. They never looked back, and they won the game, and they were national champions. It was amazing. I can't believe 20 years ago. What a different world it was back then, too, when you think about um, just everything, you know, social media and just yeah. uh, uh, everything. Um, and my kids were super young, too, super young. I mean, my oldest remembers it and how exciting it was, but barely, you know. Uh, my middle son, I don't think, really remembers it. My youngest son certainly doesn't. Oh, my youngest son still remembers it. Uh, I mean, he used to pretend to be Juan Dixon and and the other guys on the team. You know, I remember, I forget, I think it was Juan Dixon's sophomore year. Uh, I went to Coalfield House. They might have been playing Georgia Tech. I forget who they were playing. But I went to see Terrence Morris, mm -hmm. who was the big dog from what I read. I had never seen him play. And he was a junior and uh, Dixon was a sophomore. It wasn't getting that much attention yet, but Terrence Morris was the guy. Yeah. You know, and I think they beat, I think they beat Georgia Tech or whoever it was. I remember writing a column saying, you know, Terrence Morris may be, may be the guy who gets all the attention, but this is Juan Dixon's team, and he was a sophomore. I mean, you could tell then it, 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 it was his team. He had such a court presence and was so smart. Uh, a player. I was so impressed with him then. It's funny. I, I remember like in his freshman year, my father saying to me, my father was a basketball coach. Um, and my father saying to me, the kid Dixon from Baltimore, he's, he's going to be a prolific scorer. Just trust me on this. And, and this was like in his freshman year, Dixon averaged like seven points a game or something like that. 
uh, and he was right. I, I, I remember. I didn't see it. I saw the defensive quickness, and he was so – but he was so th- rail thin. I mean, you know, Dixon at his best was probably 180 pounds, and as a freshman he was probably more like 155 pounds. But he had um, – he, he, he's the most clutch player to, to ever play for Maryland. He is the second greatest player in my mind's eye. I think Bias is the greatest player in Maryland history. D- Dixon's the champion. Um, Dixon's the second best. And then we can talk about who's third. However you want to put one, two, I put Bias one, Dixon two, and then I have John Lucas three, but it's you know it, it's a distant third from, from Dixon and Bias. But Dixon's the greatest clutch performer. And one of the just incredibly, as you said, high IQ players, he had yes. just such a knack defensively of getting into pass, lane, uh, pass lanes, uh, picking off passes, and then took every big shot. And as Gary told me this morning, he never feared taking um, any of those shots. I asked Gary something um, this morning that I don't think I've ever asked him before, and I said, was that your best team? Uh, or your most talented team because you know he's talked a lot about the Steve Francis team as being an incredibly talented team and they lost Obina Akizi before the ACC tournament their starting center that year and Lonnie Baxter was only a freshman and so they ended up losing to Ron Artest and Eric Barkley and St. John's in the Sweet 16 in 1999 as a two seed in a team that a lot of people thought had a chance to win a national championship or go to you know certainly go to the final four and they lost and it was incredibly disappointing because at one point that year they were you know they were ranked number two in the country for a significant portion of the early part of that season Francis was just a star you know in that one year and people were talking about Steve Francis he was he was probably the most exciting player in college basketball that year um and and Gary had mentioned to me this morning he goes look the 2001 team you know he's like we had Terrence Morris and Danny Miller on that team you know, that team was really, really good. We didn't have either one of those two players. Now, we ended up getting Byron Mouton, who ended up being such a valuable player. Uh, but And they were more experienced coming back. Um, but, you know, Gary didn't say definitively that his national championship team was his most talented team. You know, the team that, you know, he thought would win it all. But, you know, they had the experience of going to the Final Four the year before. They had seniors with Baxter, Mouton, and, and, and they had, you know, a truly special player. But they had a legitimate chance up 22 in the semifinals against Duke the previous year to win the national championship that year, too. That was a really good team. Really good team. Yes. Yes, it was. So, anyway, uh, what else did I have for you? Bobby Wagner signs with the Rams for all of you that thought there was a chance. Yep. Um, he wasn't going to sign. The rich get richer. Oh, I know what I wanted to, t- to end the show with. Last night, if you were up early and you were listening to the beginning of the show, you heard me talk about this. Last night, there was a tornado warning for where I live. You know, we've, we've all lived with, you know, severe thunderstorm warnings and tornado warnings at times, but usually not exactly where you live. Last night, my wife says to me as I was watching television, are you seeing this? And I picked up my phone, you know, tornado warning. And then all of a sudden they broke in with the, you know, the emergency thing on television. And they literally started listing neighborhoods. And one of them was our neighborhood. 
that, you know, there was a tornado in northern Virginia, Tyson's McLean, traveling 30 miles to the east. I live just in barely into the district uh, over the Maryland line. And literally they started mentioning neighborhoods, uh, one of which I live in. And Doug Cameron then is on TV. By the way, he did a great job last night. I mean, he's he's good uh, in these in these spots, and he's talking about how you know because he lives in this general area too. He lives in Bethesda, and so he's like, this is heading right for us, including Channel Four on Nebraska Avenue, which I live literally five minutes from. You know where the Channel Four studios are. It's the first right. time in my life, I believe, that I've actually ever heeded the advice, and gone to the basement. Kara's like, it was just the two of us that were home. She's like, should we go to the basement? I'm like, nah. And then all of a sudden they started listing neighborhoods, and she's like, oh, no, we're going to the basement. And because I opened the door and I went outside, and the wind was really starting to swirl, and you know, it was, it was nighttime, and there wasn't a lot of lightning. I think if there had been a lot of lightning, you would have seen like the sky. But anyway, netting it out, um, there were, and according to the Capitol Weather Gang this morning, anywhere, uh, any, anyway, um, and I guess the National Weather Service will confirm this, uh, and maybe they've done that already this afternoon. Um, let me see if they've done that. But there were two uh, touch uh, two touchdowns of 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 tornadoes, one in Centerville and one at Tyson's, and there's video of the Tyson's. Where they they claim, if you look closely, there's a 30 to 50 foot funnel cloud at Tyson's Corner. And as the crow flies literally from my house to Tyson's Corner, it's probably like two miles max. So maybe not even that much, you know, over over the river. So have you ever been, have you ever gotten to the point where you actually went to a basement? No. (laughs) No, I I never have. God, it would have been such a tragedy to have a weather event of all things be your demise <laughs> my demise you know? my so demise it would have been so unfair and so unjust to have somebody who worships at the altar of weather <laughs> uh like you do uh go, go down with with, with with a strong wind no i've never experienced anything like that I, by the way, they're just uh, the, the Capital Weather Gang just put out this video that I'm watching from Tyson's. It's a new video, and yeah, it appears as if you know there was a funnel cloud. God, it's wild. You know, um, weather is wild, and uh, I don't know if they've confirmed that that was an actual tornado, but that is that that's a tornado there that's going to be confirmed having touched down there. I, I usually, as you know, big snowstorms. I'm out driving around in it. Right. And 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 even with like big, uh, you know, severe thunderstorms, other than when they're heavy on the lightning, I love being out there right before, you know, it comes through. When the wind starts kicking up and the rain just barely starts, it's just kind of wild to be out there. Um, and last night I did go out there and then my, then my wife's like, they just, did you hear that? They just mentioned our actual, you know, neighborhood basically. Um, in D.C. that we live in, and so we we went to the basement, and nothing happened. Um, anyway, you know I do realize you, you've seen you you've seen Twister, haven't you? Of course, yeah, of yeah. course. Um, yeah. I, I, that's one of my favorite movies. What was I watching the other night? Um, oh, wait, what was uh, Helen Hunt's? You know, obviously, the star of that movie with the guy that recently died. Why am I forgetting his name? Bill, Bill, uh, uh, Bill P- Paxton, Bill Paxton. Is that it? Yeah. yeah Bill Paxton. Paxton. Um, yeah, re- what a great actor. 
great actor. Yeah. Died, you know, really young. Um, and Helen Hunt's yeah. in the movie, movie Twister. But the other night, the movie with Nicolas Cage and Kathleen Turner. Do you remember the movie Peggy Sue Got Married? Yeah, it's, I think Francis Ford Coppola directed it, I think. Is that true? I didn't know that. Well, for, me, me, I'm pretty sure. For whatever it was on. I remember the movie. I thought it was very entertaining when it came out. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a decent movie when it came out in the 80s. Anyway, yeah. it was on. I, I didn't invest a lot of time into it. I always thought Kathleen Turner was, you know, was uh, was super hot back in the day. By the way, you know, she went to the University of Maryland. Kathleen Turner did. Um, was super super hot. And what what made her hot was not her looks. Also, it was the attitude. But her voice. Yeah, and the attitude and, and the, the whole voice. thing. Yeah. Um, she so, had that. I, I've smoked twenty packs of cigarettes today <laughs> and gargled with razor blades. Um, so what I, the reason that and I just, Francis Ford Coppola did direct it. He so did. I was right. Interesting. Yes. God, how old was Nicolas Cage at that point? Anyway, the reason that I just thought of that is because Helen Hunt plays Peggy Sue's daughter in that movie. And I, and I saw her the other day. I'm like, that's Helen Hunt. And then I realized she's actually one of the, you know, uh, Kathleen Turner and Nicolas Cage's uh, children in that movie. So Helen wow. Hunt. The movie was from like Helen? the early '80s. Do you have Do you have the movie stuff up? Because you you must have looked it up because Francis Ford Coppola directed it. You just confirmed that. 1986. 86. Yeah. So and Helen Hunt. I big I had a big crush on Helen Hunt uh, when she was in Mad About You. Uh, and I consider Twister to be Helen Hunt's softcore porn. Really? Uh, yes. Why? Oh, my God, Because yes. she's soaking wet and she's in clothes and... Yes. Oh, God, yes. Absolutely. I think she's really, really cute in Castaway. Of course, okay. you know, it's now, just... you know, she, she's one of these actors, actors, actresses that underwent a... Uh, uh, facial surgery, you know, uh, plastic surgery, and didn't turn out for the better. It does not look nearly. Oh, that's a shame. I have not not seen her in a while. That's too bad because I would describe Helen Hunt very much as kind of like a girl next door look, right? I think that's that's, that's that's not the way I envision her, but yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I, I didn't say that you couldn't envision a girl with girl-next-door looks in the way that you're thinking right now. She was attractive, but I guess the word would be attainable. Not for you or me. Of course, you probably think you could attain it. <laughs> but but um, the girl-next-door description is, I, I, I'm just going to make up the definition here, is one that just seems like attainable, you know, something within reach, I guess, you know, more of a wholesome kind of all-American kind of pretty. Uh, I don't know. Um, that's the way I think of it. Who would be in the girl next okay. door category? Let's look up the girl. This is what we. I loved when we do this. Girl next doors. Well, well this is this this is the Gilligan's Island argument. Uh, Ginger or Marianne? Yeah, I just wasn't. You know, Ginger is is, is the is the sultry, sexy goddess Marianne is the girl next door right yeah I'll take the sultry sexy goddess 
Yeah, I know which one you would pick. I, I kind of, uh, I kind of like both. What was the uh, the girl next door movie um, with what's her face, uh, the Canadian that's just super hot that's uh, married to the hockey player? Oh yeah, I know, I know, I know. Who you're oh, talking about? Me. I forget. Yeah, she's married uh, to Brooks. Brooks like. Is she married to Brooks like? I think so. What's why? Why are we blanking? It's people are out there screaming right now. Um, uh, Julie Huff? Julie Ann Huff? No, 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 no. Alicia Cuthbert. God damn. I can't believe I, I didn't come up with that. Alicia well, who Cuthbert. She, who is she married to? She's married to a hockey player, I'm pretty sure. The movie was called The Girl Next Door. 2004, Emile Hirsch was the guy next door. Alicia Cuthbert. God, how old is she right now? She's only 39. She's married to Dion Phaneuf. He's a hockey player. He's a, a hockey player that plays for, or he's retired now. He's retired. He was a hockey player. Uh, and she was super smoke show in that movie. I've never heard of any of these people you're talking about. You've now. never heard, Look up Alicia Cuthbert. You know who she is when you see her. Okay. Um, but I just had a list of like the top, uh, a list of the girl next doors. It was like somebody put together top 15 uh, list, and now I just exited out of it, so i got to find Sally it again. Fe- Sally Fields was a girl next door, right? Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. Yeah. In other words, it's the difference between cute and beautiful. And, I, I mean, I think they're equal. I mean, I'm not disparaging cute. Like, more attorney. More attorney? She's cute. Right. She's a girl next door kind of cute. Here's a list. Um, uh, Amy Adams is considered a, a girl next door. Oh, no way. No I don't way. think Amy so either. It's too hot to be uh, a girl next door. Catherine Heigl's considered girl next door. No. Cameron Diaz is considered a girl next door. I don't, oh, I don't think that at all. This is a terrible list. I agree. Je- Jenna Fisher is considered a girl next door. Yes. She fits yes. that description 100%. Yes. Absolutely. Um, who else is on this? There's some names here that I'm not familiar with. Whatever. Who cares? Okay. Right. Are we. Are... <laughs> Certainly. The people listening to this podcast don't care. Uh, um. <laughs> Oh, wait, here's another list. Let me see. Alicia Cuthbert, number one. Okay. Uh, Eva Mendez is on the list. Um, Carrie Russell. Boy, God, Carrie Russell in the Americans was so awesome. Yeah. See, I don't... Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, there, uh, I, don't know who some, I don't know who Susan Ward is. I'm looking at her right now. I don't know who she is. Sarah Romer. Uh, anyway, the, the, the number one here on this list and then another list is Alicia Cuthbert on the girl next door. But of course, that's why she starred in the girl next door movie. You should watch that movie. It's a pretty good movie. Jennifer Lawrence girl next door. I don't think so. Do you No. Blake Lively's much more than a girl next door. She's number one on another list. No, she's, she's super. 
super unattainable. Well, it, you know what, Tommy? With our confidence level, never count us out. All right, that's it for the show. What are you doing next that's week? It. Drop what, the mic. What's your schedule? I'm not with you till next Friday. Next Friday, okay. Uh, yeah, I get back from Disney World on Wednesday night, and I'll be at opening day at Nats Park on Thursday. Um, you know, I can call call you from Nats Park for a few minutes on, on opening day if you wanted. You let me know. Okay, we'll figure it out. Uh, I'll be back with you know a national championship preview, the talk of the Final Four games. By the way, real quickly. On the radio show this morning, Mark Allery was on with us. He was great. Um, Mark played for Coach K's first, you know, the the class that saved Coach K. Allery, a part of that team with Billis and Johnny Dawkins and Tommy Amaker, et cetera. Um, That was a really good ESPN film uh, on that. Uh, Allery played for the Bullets for several years, has lived in the area. Uh, Of course he did. He did. He did play for them uh, d- during some of those years. He's actually really, and I don't know him well, but I, you know, I've I've been on occasion with him in in at places. Super nice guy, and I thought he had some really interesting stories this morning about Coach K. So you can go back and listen to that one as well. I like Villanova. Neighbor Nick apparently likes Kansas. Um, but neighbor Nick was right last week, so uh, maybe it's time we don't go against neighbor Nick. Villanova lo- lost their second best scorer to it, that, that torn Achilles, right? Yeah, Justin Moore from Damatha, and they're, and yet they're only a four-point underdog, which is kind of why perhaps neighbor Nick and others really like Kansas, which is why I, I kind of like Villanova. I cannot wait for the Duke-Carolina game. It's going to be epic all time. We're done for the day. This is too long of a podcast. Uh, catch you guys uh, on Monday. See you, Tommy. Enjoy Orlando. See you, boss. You said yesterday I want to be a leader for my school one more time. How do you put it into words what this guy and all of these men behind you mean to you on championship night? I can't put it into words, man. I'm so proud of the coach. He took a chance on me. He proved a lot of people wrong. I love him for that. And these people back here, we worked hard. We were consistent the whole year. And look where we are today. Gary, it's the sweetest sound in the world. I know you're the national champion. And you're the first man since 74 to take your school, your alma mater, to a national championship. It's a great feeling. Um, a lot of people involved, a lot of former players, a lot of assistant coaches, and the administration has to make that decision to allow us to be good enough. You got a job to do. You got to get a trophy and cut down some nets. All right. Going, Gary. Great going. Gary Williams, very popular in the coaching ranks. There are a lot of men out there celebrating with him tonight, Billy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.